Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. designed to help you fall asleep. Find us on snoozecast.com, and if you enjoy our show, please share us with a friend. If you'd like to get an email once a week with upcoming sleep stories and other news, subscribe to the newsletter at snoozecast.com. This episode is brought to you by Roasted Eggs and Potatoes. Tonight, we'll read the next part to The Secret Garden a novel by Frances Hodgson Burnett, published in 1911. In the last episode, Dickon teaches Colin strengthening exercises. We get to see the happenings at the secret garden through the eyes of the robins on their nest, and the staff at the manor grow increasingly perplexed by Colin and Mary's healthy transformation. get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Even on wet days, it could not be said that Mary and Colin were dull. I wish my father would come home, Colin said. I wish it wasn't raining today. It was then Mistress Mary had her inspiration. Colin, she began mysteriously, do you know how many rooms there are in this house? About a thousand, I suppose, he answered. There's about a hundred 
no one ever goes into, said Mary. And one rainy day, I went and looked into ever so many of them. No one ever knew, though Mrs. Medlock nearly found me out. I lost my way when I was coming back, and I stopped at the end of your corridor. That was the second time I heard you crying. Colin started up on his sofa. A hundred rooms no one goes into, he said. It sounds almost like a secret garden. Suppose we go and look at them. Wheel me in my chair and nobody would know we went. That's what I was thinking, said Mary. No one would dare to follow us. There are galleries where you could run. We could do our exercises. There is a little Indian room where there is a cabinet full of ivory elephants. There are all sorts of rooms. Ring the bell, said Colin. When the nurse came in, he gave his orders. I want my chair, he said. Miss Mary and I are going to look at the part of the house which is not used. John can push me as far as the picture gallery because there are some stairs. Then he must go away and leave us alone until I send for him again. Rainy days lost their terrors that morning. When the footman had wheeled the chair into the picture gallery and left the two together in obedience to orders, Colin and Mary looked at each other delighted. As soon as Mary had made sure that John was really on his way back to his own quarters below stairs, Colin got out of his chair. I'm going to run from one end of the gallery to the other, he said, and then I'm going to jump, and then we will do Bob Howarth's exercises. And then they did all these things and many others. They looked at the portraits and found the plain little girl dressed in green brocade and holding the parrot on her finger. All these, said Colin, must be my relations. They lived a long time ago. That parrot one, I believe, is one of my great, 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 great aunts. She looks rather like you, Mary. Not as you look now, but as you looked when you came here. Now you are a great deal fatter and better looking. So are you, said Mary, and they both laughed. They went to the Indian room and amused themselves with the ivory elephants. They found the rose-colored brocade boudoir and the hole in the cushion the mouse had left, but the mice had grown up and run away, and the hole was empty. They saw more rooms and made more discoveries than Mary had made on her first pilgrimage. They found new corridors and corners and flights of steps and new old pictures they liked and weird old things they did not know the use of. It was a curiously entertaining morning, 
and the feeling of wandering about in the same house with other people, but at the same time feeling as if one were miles away from them, was a fascinating thing. I'm glad we came, Colin said. I never knew I lived in such a big, queer old place. I like it. We will ramble about every rainy day. We shall always be finding new queer corners and things. That morning, they had found, among other things, such good appetites that when they returned to Colin's room, it was not possible to send the luncheon away untouched. When the nurse carried the tray downstairs, she slapped it down on the kitchen dresser so that Mrs. Loomis, the cook, could see the highly polished dishes and plates. Look at that, she said. This is a house of mystery, and those two children are the greatest mysteries in it. If they keep up every day with that, said the strong young footman, John, there'd be small wonder that he weighs twice as much today as he did a month ago. I should have to give up my place in time for fear of doing my muscles an injury. That afternoon, Mary noticed that something new had happened in Colin's room. She had noticed it the day before, but had said nothing because she thought the change might have been made by chance. She said nothing today, but she sat and looked fixedly at the picture over the mantel. She could look at it because the curtain had been drawn aside. That was the change she noticed. I know what you want me to tell you, said Colin, after she had stared a few minutes. I always know when you want me to tell you something. You're wondering why the curtain is drawn back. I'm going to keep it like that. Why? asked Mary. Because it doesn't make me angry anymore to see her laughing. I wakened when it was bright moonlight two nights ago and felt as if the magic was filling the room and making everything so splendid that I couldn't lie still. I got up and looked out of the window. The room was quite light, and there was a patch of moonlight on the curtain, and somehow that made me go and pull the cord. She looked right down at me, as if she were laughing, because she was glad I was standing there. It made me like to look at her. I want to see her laughing like that all the time. I think she must have been a sort of magic person, perhaps. You are so like her now, said Mary, that sometimes I think perhaps you are her ghost made into a boy. That idea seemed to impress Colin. He thought it over and then answered her slowly. If I were a ghost... If I were her ghost, my father would be fond of me, he said. Do you want him to be fond of you? inquired Mary. I used to hate it because he was not fond of me, 
if he grew fond of me, I think I should tell him about the magic. It might make him more cheerful. Chapter 26 It's Mother Their belief in the magic was an abiding thing. After the morning's incantations, Colin sometimes gave them magic lectures. I like to do it, he explained, because when I grow up and make great scientific discoveries, I shall be obliged to lecture about them, and so this is practice. I can only give short lectures now because I am very young, and besides, Ben Weatherstaff would feel as if he were in church and he would go to sleep. The best thing about lecturing, said Ben, is that a chap can get up and say aught he pleases and no other chap can answer him back. I wouldn't be again lecturing a bit myself sometimes. But when Colin held forth under his tree, old Ben fixed devouring eyes on him and kept them there. He looked over him with critical affection. It was not so much the lecture which interested him as the legs which looked straighter and stronger each day, the boyish head which held itself up so well, the once sharp chin and hollow cheeks which had filled and rounded out, and the eyes which had begun to hold the light he remembered in another pair. Sometimes, when Colin felt Ben's earnest gaze meant that he was much impressed, he wondered what he was reflecting on, and once, when he had seemed quite entranced, he questioned him. What are you thinking about, Ben Weatherstaff? he asked. I was thinking, answered Ben, as I'd warrant thou's gone up three or four pound this week. I was looking at the calves and the shoulders. I'd like to get thee on a pair of scales. It's the magic and, and Mrs. Sowerby's buns and milk and things, said Colin. You see, the scientific experiment has succeeded. That morning, Dickon was too late to hear the lecture. When he came, he was ruddy with running, and his funny face looked more twinkling than usual. As they had a good deal of weeding to do after the rains, they fell to work. They always had plenty to do after a warm, deep, sinking rain. The moisture, which was good for the flowers, was also good for the weeds, which thrust up tiny blades of grass and points of leaves, which must be pulled up before their roots took too firm hold. Colin was as good at weeding as anyone in these days, and he could lecture while he was doing it. The magic works best when you work yourself, he said this morning. You can feel it in your bones and muscles. I am going to read books about bones and muscles, but I am going to write a book about magic. I am making it up now. I keep finding out things. 
It was not very long after he had said this that he laid down his trowel and stood up on his feet. He had been silent for several minutes, and they had seen that he was thinking out lectures, as he often did. When he dropped his trowel and stood upright, it seemed to Mary and Dickon as if a sudden strong thought had made him do it. He stretched himself out to his tallest height, and he threw out his arms exultantly. Color glowed in his face, and his strange eyes widened with joyfulness. All at once, he had realized something to the full. Mary, Dickon, he cried, just look at me. They stopped their weeding and looked at him. Do you remember that first morning you brought me in here? He demanded. Dickon was looking at him very hard. Being an animal charmer, he could see more things than most people could, and many of them were things he never talked about. He saw some of them now in this boy. Aye, that we do, he answered. Mary looked hard too, but she said nothing. Just this minute, said Colin, all at once I remembered it myself. When I looked at my hand digging with the trowel, and I had to stand up on my feet to see if it was real. And it is real. I'm well. I'm well. Aye, that thou art, said Dickon. I'm well. I'm well, said Colin again and his face went quite red all over. He had known it before, in a way. He had hoped it, and felt it, and thought about it. But just at that minute, something had rushed all through him. A sort of rapturous belief and realization, and it had been so strong that he could not help calling out. I shall live forever and ever and ever, he cried grandly. I shall find out thousands and thousands of things. I shall find out about people and creatures and everything that grows, like Dickon, and I shall never stop making magic. I'm well. I'm well. I feel... I feel as if I want to shout out something something thankful, joyful. Ben Weatherstaff, who had been working near a rose bush, glanced round at him. That might sing the doxology, he suggested in his driest grunt. He had no opinion of the doxology, and he did not make the suggestion with any particular reverence. But Colin was of an exploring mind, and he knew nothing about the doxology. What is that? he inquired. Dickon can sing it for thee, I'll warrant, replied Ben Weatherstaff. Dickon answered with his all-perceiving animal charmer's smile. They sing it in church, he said. 
Mother says she believes the skylark sings it when they gets up in the morning. If she says that, it must be a nice song, Colin answered. I've never been in a church myself. I was always too ill. Sing it, Dickon. I want to hear it. Dickon was quite simple and unaffected about it. He understood what Colin felt better than Colin did himself. He understood by a sort of instinct so natural that he did not know it was understanding. He pulled off his cap and looked round, still smiling. Thou must take off the cap, he said to Colin. And so mun thou, Ben, and the mun stand up, thou knows. Colin took off his cap, and the sun shone on and warmed his thick hair as he watched Dickon intently. Ben Weatherstaff scrambled up from his knees and bared his head too, with a sort of puzzled, half-resentful look on his old face, as if he didn't know exactly why he was doing this remarkable thing. Dickon stood out among the trees and rose bushes and began to sing in quite a simple, matter-of-fact way and in a nice, strong boy voice. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. When he had finished, Ben Weatherstaff was standing quite still, with his jaws set obstinately, but with a disturbed look in his eyes fixed on Colin. Colin's face was thoughtful and appreciative. It is a very nice song, he said. I like it. Perhaps it means just what I mean when I want to shout out that I am thankful to the magic. He stopped and thought in a puzzled way. Perhaps they are both the same thing. How can we know the exact names of everything? Sing it again, Dickon. Let us try, Mary. I want to sing it too. It's my song. How does it begin? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And they sang it again, and Mary and Colin lifted their voices as musically as they could, and Dickens swelled quite loud and beautiful. And at the second line, Ben Weatherstaff raspingly cleared his throat, and at the third line, he joined in with such vigor that it seemed almost savage, and when the amen came to an end, Mary observed that the very same thing had happened to him, which had happened when he found out that Colin was not a cripple. His chin was twitching, and he was staring and winking, and his leathery old cheeks were wet. 
I never seed no sense in the doxology afore, he said hoarsely. But I may change my mind in time. I should say that gone up five pound this week, Mr. Colin. Five on him. Colin was looking across the garden at something attracting his attention, and his expression had become a startled one. Who's coming in here? he said quickly. Who is it? The door in the ivied wall had been pushed gently open, and a woman had entered. She had come in with the last line of their song, and she had stood still listening and looking at them. With the ivy behind her, the sunlight drifting through the trees and dappling her long blue cloak, and her nice fresh face smiling across the greenery, she was rather like a softly colored illustration in one of Colin's books. She had wonderful, affectionate eyes, which seemed to take everything in. All of them, even Ben Weatherstaff and the creatures and every flower that was in bloom. Unexpectedly, as she had appeared, not one of them felt that she was an intruder at all. Dickens' eyes lighted like lamps. It's mother! That's who it is. He cried and went across the grass at a run. Colin began to move toward her, too, and Mary went with him. They both felt their pulses beat faster. It's mother, Dickon said again when they met halfway. I knowed thou wanted to see her, and I told her where the door was hid. Colin held out his hand with a sort of flushed royal shyness, but his eyes quite devoured her face. Even when I was ill, I wanted to see you, he said. You and Dickon and the secret garden. I'd never wanted to see anyone or anything before. The sight of his uplifted face brought about a sudden change in her own. She flushed and the corners of her mouth shook, and a mist seemed to sweep over her eyes. Ah, dear lad, she broke out tremulously. Oh, dear lad, as if she had not known she was going to say it. She did not say, Mr. Colin, but just, dear lad, quite suddenly. She might have said it to Dickon in the same way, if she had seen something in his face, which touched her. Colin liked it. Are you surprised because I am so well? He asked. She put her hand on his shoulder and smiled the mist out of her eyes. Aye, that I am, she said. But thou art so like thy mother, thou made my heart jump. Do you think said Colin a little awkwardly. That will make my father like me? Aye, for sure, dear lad, she answered, and she gave his shoulder a soft, quick pat. He mun come home. He mun come home. 
Susan Sowerby, said Ben Weatherstaff, getting close to her. Look at the lad's legs, wilt thou? They was like drumsticks and stockings two months ago. And I heard folk tell as they were bandy and knock-kneed, both at the same time. Look at them now. Susan Sowerby laughed a comfortable laugh. They're going to be fine, strong lad's legs in a bit, she said. Let him go on playing and working in the garden and eating hearty and drinking plenty of good sweet milk, and there'll not be a finer pair in Yorkshire. Thank God for it. She put both hands on Mistress Mary's shoulders and looked her little face over in a motherly fashion. And thee, too, she said. Thou art grown near as hearty as our Elizabeth Ellen. I'll warrant thou art like thy mother, too. Our Martha told me, as Mrs. Medlock heard, she was a pretty woman. Thou be like a blush rose when thou grows up, my little lass, bless thee. She did not mention that when Martha came home on her day out, she described the plain, sallow child. She had said that she had no confidence whatever in what Mrs. Medlock had heard. It doesn't stand to reason that a pretty woman could be thy mother of such a foul little lass, she had added obstinately. Mary had not had time to pay much attention to her changing face. She had only known that she looked different and seemed to have a great deal more hair and that it was growing very fast. But remembering her pleasure and looking at the Mem Sahib in the past, she was glad to hear that she might someday look like her. Susan Sowerby went round their garden with them and was told the whole story of it, and shown every bush and tree which had come alive. Colin walked on one side of her, and Mary on the other. Each of them kept looking up at her comfortable, rosy face, secretly curious about the delightful feeling she gave them, a sort of warm, supported feeling. It seemed as if she understood them as Dickon understood his creatures. She stooped over the flowers and talked about them as if they were children. Soot followed her and once or twice cawed at her and flew up upon her shoulder as if it were Dickens. When they told her about the robin and the first flight of the young ones, she laughed a motherly little mellow laugh in her throat. I suppose learning him to fly is like learning children to walk, but I'm feared I should be all in a word if mine had wings instead of legs, she said. It was because she seemed such a wonderful woman in her nice moorland cottage that at last she was told about the magic. Do you believe in magic? asked Colin, after he had explained about Indian fakirs. I do hope you do. Oh, that I do, lad, she answered. I never knowed it by that name, but what does the name matter? I warrant I call it in a different name in France and a different one in Germany. The same thing as set the seeds swellin' and the sun shinin' made thee a well lad, 
and it's a good thing. It isn't like us poor fools as think it matters if us is called out of their names. The big good thing doesn't stop to worry, bless thee. It goes on making worlds by the million, worlds like us. Never thee stop believing in the big good thing and knowing the world's full of it, and call it what thou likes. Thou wert singing to it when I come into the garden. I felt so joyful, said Colin, opening his beautiful, strange eyes at her. Suddenly I felt how different I was, how strong my arms and legs were, you know, and how I could dig and stand. And I jumped up and wanted to shout out something to anyone that would listen. The magic listened when thou sung the doxology. It would have listened to anything thou'd sung. It was the joy that mattered. Ah, lad, lad, what's names to the joy maker? And she gave his shoulders a quick, soft pat again. She had packed a basket, which held a regular feast this morning. And when the hungry hour came, and Dickon brought it out from his hiding place, she sat down with them under their tree and watched them devour their food, laughing and quite gloating over their appetites. She was full of fun and made them laugh at all sorts of odd things. She told them stories in broad Yorkshire and taught them names.